Thank you, Jonathan and Lauren, for that uh, beautiful song this morning. And we want to welcome you to this uh, Palm Sunday online service at Good Shepherd. Glad that you could be here with us this morning to participate. I want to take just a moment to uh, give a special thank you to Pastor Travis for all the fine work that he has done in preparing uh, these online messages, the technical aspect of it. Just done a super job. It's been uh, a real challenge, but he's done a great job. Just have a little different setup this morning, and, and hopefully that will be helpful to you. Well, we're going to talk today. We're going to leave the book of Revelation for this week and for next week, which is Easter. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the, the wonderful cross. You know, in the history of mankind, no one has ever devised a more brutal way of killing another person than by, than by the means of crucifixion. The, the Romans didn't invent it, but they perfected it. Uh, this brutal means of capital punishment, they discovered was the most painful way of causing death. It was more agonizing and more torturous than any other means of execution. It was more painful than being run through by a sword or being boiled in oil or even burned alive. And they learned by experience that uh, the crucifixion was not only the most painful form of death, it was the most feared, and it became a great detriment to rebellion against Rome. And for that reason, in the time of Jesus, no Roman citizen could ever be crucified. In fact, polite people didn't even say the word. It was, a, it was an offensive word. It was a word of cursing. Whereas people in our culture would say, to hell with you is the worst thing that they could think of think of happening to you. The people in that day would say, to the cross with you, crucify you. In those ancient days, when they surveyed the thousands of crosses where the condemned hung publicly along the highways of, of Rome, they said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And they looked away in horror. Yet in our day, when we survey the cross, the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, the cross on which the Prince of Glory died, we say, oh, the wonderful cross, and count it our richest gain. Amazingly, that terrible instrument of pain and death was the place where God forever purchased our salvation through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we sing, Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die that I may truly live. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. And so today we speak of the wonderful cross. 
And I want you to look with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and beginning in verse 6, we're going to read through verse 11. That's Romans, chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. And the Apostle Paul says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps even for a good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. And this is the word of God. I want to ask you to join me this morning in in a brief word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you have provided a way for us to be able to connect during these difficult days. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to talk about your word and especially about your cross. And I pray for the people that are watching this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to their lives through your word. I pray that you would give them your grace and your peace and your encouragement. And I I pray for especially for those that may be watching who have never really settled the issue of their salvation. I pray that today that you would help them to have a a certainty, a, a, a confidence that they really and truly know you and that they have eternal life. And Lord, I ask you that you would just oversee the, even the technical aspects of this, the, the recording, the, my speaking and all those things so that the message may go out clearly and that your name might be glorified and honored. We ask it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Why is the cross so wonderful? As we survey the cross through this marvelous text, we see that there are three reasons why the cross is so wonderful. And the first is this, the cross is wonderful because of the work it completed. See, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was completing an important work for you and me in terms of our salvation. And verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now I want you to look at the words that the Bible uses there to describe us. Helpless and ungodly. See, that's me. Helpless and ungodly. That's you. Helpless and ungodly. And apart from the work of Jesus Christ, we are all helpless and ungodly. The word helpless refers to the, to our absolute inability to save ourselves. We can't do anything to make ourselves right with God. We're without strength. We are powerless. And it's not that we, that we just have a little help or a little strength. We have no strength at all. There's nothing that we can do. 
And see, the, the truth is, we are completely helpless to make ourselves right with God. See, you're powerless to escape your sin. You're powerless to escape death. You're powerless to resist Satan. You're powerless to make yourself right with God. When Karen and I were in seminary in Texas, there was an ongoing joke among the seminary students that said, if your wife can't play the piano, you won't be able to go to church. And one of our friends especially liked to joke about that because his wife, like most other seminary wives, couldn't play the piano at all. And it just so happened that soon after that, that he was asked by a small church out in West Texas to come in view of a call. And so they went out to this rural church there in West Texas. There were about 20 people when they got there. They went to the front and they sat down. And one of the deacons got up in, at the beginning of the service and he said, Mrs. Adams, who normally plays for our service, isn't here today. Is there anyone here who could play the piano for our service? And my friend uh, leaned over with his wife, uh, to his wife with a big grin on his face and he says, why don't you play the piano for them, honey? Well, she had never played the piano before in her life. She couldn't even play chopsticks and and she she just looks at him and she says in a very stern voice don't do that you know that i don't play the piano but the lady sitting behind them overheard them talking and she said oh go ahead honey play that piano for us you'll do just fine and she turned to the lady and she says i really i don't know how to play the piano at all and somebody in the back yelled out, well, well, just do the best that you can. We'll, we'll sing along. We won't notice if you miss a few notes. And she says, I don't know any notes at all. I really, I can't play the piano. And then she looked at her husband and she said, she said, tell them I don't play the piano. But he just sat there chuckling because he thought that was so funny. No matter how much she protested, they, that, they felt like that she was holding out on them. But the truth was, she was helpless when it came to playing the piano. She was powerless to fulfill their request. And that it's exactly the same way with you and I when it comes to fulfilling the righteousness of God. We are helpless. We are powerless to do what we need to do. See, the Bible says, also says that we are ungodly. And that means that we're simply not like God. God is holy, but we are unholy. God is, is pure, but we are impure. We are full of lust and immorality. God is truth, but we are liars, deceivers, dishonest. God is forgiving, but we are unforgiving. We're bitter, resentful, vengeful. God is giving, but we are selfish. We are self-centered, egotistical, and proud. And you see, we have all broken the law of God, and we all stand before him guilty and condemned to death. That's the penalty for sin. We're all on death row awaiting our execution. 
But look again in verse 6 at what God in his mercy and grace did for us. For while we were still helpless at the right time in human history, that is, Christ died for the ungodly. And see, that's why the cross is so wonderful. On the cross, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and that's me. When Christ died on the cross, he completed the work that you and I could never complete because we are helpless. He paid the price for our ungodliness. Remember what Jesus said as he was dying on the cross in John chapter 19 and verse 30? It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, he said, it is finished. Now, he didn't say, I am finished, because he wasn't finished. He lives forevermore. He said, it is finished. You say, what is it? What is finished? Well, in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When he died on that cross, he did everything that needs to be done in order for you and I to be saved from the wrath of God and to be made right with God. And so Jesus says, Father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. I have given my life a ransom. Job complete. Mission accomplished. It is finished. You say, well, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, in a sense, you don't need to do anything. The work has already been accomplished. All you need to do is to receive that work that has been accomplished on your behalf by faith. You could say the difference between heaven and hell is the difference between the word do and done. See, ironically, the helpless and the ungodly try to spell salvation D-O. They try to do more of what they are helpless already to do. They try to be more of what they are helpless to be. They try to do more religious things, more things for other people, more good things. They, they try to do things that they think that they should and try not to do things that they think they shouldn't. But listen, if you spell salvation D-O, When you are helpless, you lose everything. You will be eternally lost. But if you spell salvation, D-O-N-E, you get everything. And you can live in eternity with God in heaven. Just two letters are the difference between heaven and hell. D-O and D-O-N-E. You say, what does D-O-N-E, what does that mean? It means that the work of salvation has once and for all been completed. It means that everything that needs to be done for you to be saved and for you to be right with God was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. 
You see, as, as Jonathan and Lauren sang this morning, the cross pours contempt on all our pride. It shows us that we're helpless. But the Prince of Glory has all power, as well as the perfect righteousness that God requires. So all you need to do is receive what he has already D-O-N-E for you by faith and rest in him. That's why the cross is so wonderful. It's wonderful because of the work that it completed. But there's a second reason why the cross is so wonderful. It's wonderful because of the love it revealed. Now, natural human love is almost always based on attractiveness of the object of our love. And see, we're, we're inclined to love people who love us. Just listen to the, to the music and the lyrics of our culture, and you'll see that love for others is based on how attractive they are to us and how they make us feel. When I was young, it seemed like almost every uh, song had baby, baby in it. So it was kind of, you know, baby, baby, when you smile, baby, baby, when I look into your eyes, you know, when I hear your voice, when I kiss your lips, when you hold me tight, it's the way you look tonight, that you are my sunshine, you know, how sweet it is to be loved by you. You make me feel brand new or wild thing. You make my heart sing. Your love is electric, setting off my pyrotechnics. Baby, baby, I can't live without you. You get the idea. That, that's just natural human love based on the attractiveness and the satisfaction that we find in someone else. And you see, there, there, we think there's a quality in us that is, deserves to be valued and merited. But, and consequently, we tend to attribute that same kind of love to God. We think that his love for us is dependent on how good we are or how much we do for him. And, and maybe, you know, you start, started watching this morning wondering if God really loves you. Maybe you, you don't feel very lovable right now. You, you ask, why, why would God care about me? I don't see anything in me that God would value. Or maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you're looking at the circumstances that we're in in our, in our world today, and you're just wondering, does God really care? And maybe the devil's been whispering in your ear that God could never love you because of the things that you have thought and, and said or done. But the Bible tells us that God has shown us once and for all that he loves us unconditionally, even though we are ungodly. Look at verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. So what's Paul saying there? Well, he, he's, he's simply saying it's extremely rare when someone is willing to die for another person. 
even when that person is someone that you love, someone that you really value, it's an extraordinary thing when someone is willing to lay down their life in place of that other person. It's not like that it never happens, that it has never happened, but it's extremely rare. But, verse 8 says, God's love is different. Verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is unconditional. He loves us in spite of our sin. And his love comes out of his nature, not out of our nature or our deserving or meriting it. See, even when we are in rebellion against God, even when we're running away from God and won't have nothing to do with him, even when our sin is a stench in his nostrils, God loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. When the Bible says that that Christ died for us, it means that he died in our place, that he died as our substitute. The cross reveals God's great love for us because it was on the cross that Jesus took the penalty for our sin. He took what we deserved. He endured our judgment. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place. And he experienced the full wrath of God against your sin. When we look at the cross we see what that really means. You see, before Jesus was hung on the cross, his hands were strapped around a stone column so that his, the skin on his back would be taut. And a professional executioner called a lictor took a, a whip called a cat of nine tails or cat of seven tails, uh, nine long strips of leather, about two feet. And at the end of those uh, pieces of leather, there was a piece of bone or metal. And that lictor took that strap and he laid it across the back of Jesus. And it wrapped around his sides. And as he would pull it back, it would cut and tear the skin. And, and soon the back of Jesus was shredded to pieces as, as that whip continued to cut into the muscle. They beat his face, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they made him carry his cross to the site of his execution, and then they took long spikes and they drove them into his wrists, and fiery bolts of pain uh, surged through his body as he was nailed through the nerves in the wrist onto that cross. And then great darkness came over the land as he hung there in agony. You see, when you hang on a cross, you have to push up on the nails that they put in your feet. They bend your knees slightly so that you have room to move up and down. And you have to push up and on those, on that nail just in order to get a breath. And it's a constant struggle. It's, there's not one moment of peace. You see, it's such an agonizing death because you have to push up and down continually simply to breathe on the cross. 
You say, well, why don't they just stop pushing and die? Well, you can't avoid pushing up any more than you can kill yourself by holding your breath. You see, that's the torture of it. There's no release. It's horrible. And on the cross, Jesus was thirsty. But there was no...